Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Oh, good morning. Good to see everybody. Food fights. Ever been in one? I was raised with all brothers, younger brothers, and so... Uh, Somebody instigated a lot of food fights around my house, and we had a lot of fun with it. But there are no fun in a church, food fights. And the church seems to be very good at getting into fights at times. We've been in a series called The Beloved Community. And uh, last week we talked about the lavished love of God that is uh, resident in the local church through Jesus Christ. And... uh, it oozes out, the love does, doesn't it, among us? I mean, we just feel the love of God. And then the next minute, you see something like this going on. Or you get to Romans 14, which is where we'll be today in Scripture. Romans 14, when Paul starts talking about food fights in the church. And uh, unfortunately, the church, you know, is, uh, gets pretty good at doing fights and, and having squabbles among itself. There's times when people will come up to me and go, you know, Tim, I just wish it was the way it was back in that first century, back when the church first started up, when it was so pure, and it was so holy, and it was so wonderful. You mean like where people who lied about their giving were struck dead in meetings? That's in, that's in the first generation church there in the book of Acts. You mean the same church, that first generation church, where people would actually get drunk at the communion table, drink all the wine, drink it all up before people who didn't have the wine got to the communion table? You mean that church? You mean that church that had people doing things they shouldn't be doing in it and they had to deal with it? That same church? You know, the common denominator between that church and this church, the church back the first year and the church 2,000 years later, is people. People, people still have struggles. People still have situations that arise that cause schisms and cause problems with one another. And Paul dealt with it in this uh, chapter, in chapter 14, as we've been making our way through by the centerpiece, center portion of the book of Romans. He deals with a little bit of this. He deals with the beloved community and their differences. So we're going to be over there, Romans 14 and the first verse If you've got your Bible or you have your app and you want to go to it, Romans 14 and verse 1, and uh, we'll read, let's see, about uh, 12 verses here, Romans 14 and verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. 
another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living, the, de- the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before God. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Lord, I ask for you to bless your word this morning as we look at the subject of food fights in your body, Lord, in the church, disagreements and how we might treat one another better, Lord, in your beloved community. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come, you come and you teach us all things. You come and you reassure us of your presence. And we ask for you to come in a special way today to teach us, to guide us, maybe to heal us, Lord, because these food fights in church, they sure can be painful at times. And so I just pray for your healing touch as well to be here this morning. Breathe life on your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever you get two or three people together in any group, you're going to have a difference of opinion about something, no matter what happens. Even in the church and down through history, there have been some very famous disagreements. John Wesley and George Whitfield, two very famous English revival leaders. There they are. Quaint-looking chaps, aren't they? Kind of strange. Uh, The buns. I don't know. I just don't know. The buns. But um, John Wesley, if if you know the Methodist Church, you've heard of John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley. George Whitfield, quite uh, the preacher. Uh, Wesley spent some time up and down this coast, all the way down to Savannah and that area, and preaching the gospel. They... uh, were lifelong friends and colleagues, but they had a falling out with each other over some doctrine. That is that Wesley's uh, doctrine of free will and then Whitfield's Calvinist background caused a lot of schism, the sovereignty issue of God. And both of them mightily used by God, but they let that one doctrine get in between their friendships and it actually caused a split in the church between the free will and salvation that anybody can decide to follow Jesus. Anybody can just right now decide versus that you were elected to do so. That kind of schism. And they fell out with each other and there was a split in the church over that. I recently heard of uh, a story talking about how complicated these things can get in church life. Phil Strout, who is our national director uh, in the vineyard, Phil's going to be, Phil and Jam will be with us at our 16th birthday, our church birthday in October. Second Sunday, we're going to have a big celebration here and Phil's going to come and he's going to preach to us and encourage us on that Sunday in the services. But Phil tells the story of when he was, he was a missionary uh, down in Chile, in Chile and uh, he went to a funeral 
And at the funeral, uh, the man had been married to one particular woman the first 20 years of his life. And in Chile at that time, there was no such thing as a legal divorce. And so when he left, or the woman left him, the first 20 years, he remarried another woman and spent the next 20 years with her. Well, then he died. So at his funeral, the first wife showed up dressed in black with a black veil and a Roman Catholic priest with her. The second wife shows up with the vineyard pastor in the area. And then the sister of the man who died showed up with a seventh Adventist pastor because she was seventh Adventist. And so all three of them got up to speak at the funeral. And the priest, the Roman Catholic priest, got up and said that the man was in purgatory. The vineyard pastor got up and said the man was with Jesus. And then the Seventh-day Adventist pastor got up and said that he was in soul sleep, awaiting the resurrection of the dead. So it can get very confusing. Jan, uh, Phil's wife, turned to him during the funeral and said, you got to do something about this. Get up and straighten this out. You know? <laughs> Phil's like, Ugh, you know. There's a wonderful book if you would like to read a little more about the essentials of the faith and also the history of all of this, the the changes and the difference of opinions around doctrine and such that uh, I know this looks rather thick but if you enjoy reading history and you enjoy reading about the essentials of the faith this book the mosaic of Christian belief by a guy named Roger Olson is the best thing I've ever read on the subject it's a really good book and Roger in this book he takes uh, he, he designates our beliefs our Doctrine, I guess you could say it, or the way we believe in church into three different sections. He calls one dogma. And by dogma, he means you must believe these certain things in order to be a Christian. They are not up for debate. Uh, If you go over to 1 Corinthians 15 and you read that chapter, you'll see where Paul's talking about the resurrection, that if you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, well, that's an essential part of being a Christian. You just, you're not a Christian if you don't believe he was raised from the dead. I mean, that's an essential part of it. If you don't believe he was 100% man and 100% God, that's an essential part. That's dogma. That is essential to being a Christian. If you don't believe that he paid for your sins with his life on the cross, that he was brutalized and murdered and dead and buried and raised on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming back for his own, those are the essentials of the faith. That is dogma. But then we have what Olson calls doctrine. And doctrine are the peculiarities that maybe we have in denominations, particular things like Whitfield and Wesley kind of separated on. They separated over doctrine. I mean, the Methodists have a certain doctrine. The Baptists have a certain doctrine. Vineyard, we hold some things very dear to our hearts and there are certain doctrines that we each have felt like God has shown us and led us in to believe and then there are opinions (laughs) and most of the trouble we get into in church fights in in our church food fights you know are between the doctrine and the opinions it's not over dogma but we sure can get heated up about our opinions and we can sure have a falling out with dear friends even in a church that we love, with people we love, over opinions and doctrine at times. And so uh, the doctrine uh, is up for discussion. I love discussing doctrine with different people. You know, people say, are you a Calvin? Are you an Ar- Calvinist or an Arminian? I'm, a, I'm like I'm a Calvinian, you know. 
I'm making my way through some of this. I don't buy into all of the tulip, the five deal, you know, but there's part of it I like and part of it I don't. And it's like, uh, you know, some of this is doctrine, a lot of it. But do I believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was? Absolutely. Do I believe that it is the gospel that is the power unto salvation? Absolutely. That is what is paramount. That is dogma, who Jesus said he was, why he came. That is what's important. The 16th century reformers had a term for the things that really didn't, weren't that important. It was called adiaphora, and that is matters of indifference. There are matters of indifference, things that we separate, and we have fights over in church that really are indifferent things. They, they, don't, they don't mean that much, but yet we want to defend them and fight over them and argue over them and split over them when they have nothing to do with the central issue and tenet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And any beloved community, a church that's going into the future and hopefully is going to have an impact in its community needs to gather around the essentials, the dogma, but also make room for one another to have their own doctrines and own opinions about things and still serve together. And so Paul gets to the point in this book in Romans 14 where he begins to deal with this. It's about the gospel. That's how he dealt with it. He would put the focus back on the main thing, and that is Jesus and the gospel. And anytime we pull away from that and we get off on some other issue other than what is central, then we suddenly start throwing the pies around the room and people get their feelings hurt. Sometimes we gather around political issues. We think that's central to who we are as a church. I I have to tell you, Seeing politics the same way is not going to make a unified church. It'll make you a weird church, but it won't make you a unified church. It won't make you a holistic church full of every tribe and tongue and nation, and it won't give you that flavor of the grand scheme of how God deals with this earth and how he saves so many people from so many areas, and he brings them together to be a picture of his body on the earth. And Paul didn't apply, he didn't appeal to politics here. He didn't appeal to compromise. He kept shifting it back onto the gospel. He gave people their room to have their opinions, but he pushed it back to the gospel each time. What are the problems in Rome in this church? Well, we're not really sure, but we know that probably some of the Roman Christians in that area would not eat meat because meat, it's not because they didn't like, you know, he's not picking on vegans, okay? I know. Some of you guys, it's better for you. And this has nothing to do with you being a vegan or being a rabid carnivore such as I. Okay? It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It has to do, it's a spiritual component. That's what's going on here. And that is that the meat during that period of time, they're in Rome. Probably, they were used to seeing it dedicated to idols. And so when these young Christians came in, they were like, I could never eat meat and Paul says, well, hey, in Jesus Christ, you know, everything is, there's no food that can make you unclean. Jesus has forgiven you. But still, they had this thing attached to their mind when they would see that particular food. Their conscience would not let them eat it. And so it was causing a bit of a problem because the guys who liked steak would grab that T-bone and look at their vegan friends, you know, and just gnaw down and like, hey, I'm free in Jesus. How about it? You know. And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, that's like food that's been dedicated to idols. 
It's a pagan practice. What are you doing eating meat? And then Paul comes along and says, nah, there's no food that's unclean, but at the same time, and we're going to see this next week as well, there's a way we should walk through these things in the beloved community so we can love one another through our personal convictions. So how do we respond when we run into this adiaphora, these differences, these uh, disputable matters as Paul calls them here. You've got a fill-in in your handout, three fill-ins if you want to track along with me this morning. And that is to remember in our food fights, when we have difficulty with one another and we have a difference of opinion or doctrine, I'm not talking about dogma, doctrine or opinion, that we remember that each of us belong to God. It's easy to demonize one another, isn't it? When you get mad with each other or they believe something different than you, suddenly you don't even think they're your brother and sister in Christ anymore. Well, I just don't know if they're saved. Because they don't speak in tongues? Really? Really? Are we going to draw that conclusion? I mean, is that what we're going to do? Each of us belong to God. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Disputable matters. There we go. The things that are up for dispute. In this case, it was eating vegetables versus eating meat. And then drinking wine comes into view uh, later on in this. And then also certain holy days. You have to worship on this day, not that day. And then Paul comes along and says, No, that has nothing to do. You know, but we should prefer one another. And so, like I said, we'll talk a little more about that even next week. Uh, I'm old enough to... I'm thankful that there are probably many of you never been in a business meeting in a church, hopefully. Um, you know, I'm old enough to have been uh, earlier in my Christian experience to be a veteran of the war department of the local church. That's business meetings. I was probably 26 years old uh, when I was put on the first church board. I had no business probably being on there, but they put me on there. Everybody else was about 929 years old, and uh, I was 26. And, uh, you know, I remember going into my first meeting and this guy slept through most of the meeting and I was so excited because I assumed everybody was just excited about Jesus and everybody was there together. You know, we were all together. We're going to build a church that loves Jesus. I love the pastor. It was great. And I'll go into this meeting and, you know, the the lead deacon is sleeping through most of the meeting and then all of a sudden he wakes up and and the pastor goes, well, what should I do? And he says, he says, quit. I looked at him, he said, yeah, you need to resign. I was like, this is the guy I came to this church because of him, and what? Resign, and then we get into meetings, and we, we get in where people are, I mean, I'm looking at this as people are jumping up in these business meetings and accusing people of all manner of stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, what? this is the body of Christ? This is the beloved body of Christ? And it's over issues that are not paramount to dogma at all. It's over taste and doctrine and things that, that really are not that important. And, 
this young girl had just come to Christ about two weeks earlier. She had just joined the church the same Sunday that we had a business meeting, and she came to it. And I can still remember her. All of a sudden, in this business meeting, I hear this wailing, crying out from the back of the church. And it's her. And she just begins to weep out loud. And I walked to the back of the room and to see what was going on. And she looked at me and she said, if this is what following Jesus is all about, I'm going back to my other life. Because we didn't do this here, there. I mean, that's no way for God's people to deal with their food fights, to deal with their differences. Now, the good news is, what did Paul say? He's able to make them stand. This young lady is now a grandmother, loves Jesus, been serving Jesus for the last 35 years of her life. God is able to make her stand despite our foolishness at times and inability to navigate these waters. We need to look at each other at times when we have our differences in these areas and remember that person, that church member, that fellow brother and sister belongs to God, number one. That you're looking at someone that Jesus Christ went to the cross for and died and bled for and loves. And as such, they are of immense value to you, even when you disagree, to the church. Paul is telling the people in Rome, he's saying, listen, why are you sticking your nose into matters that are beyond your jurisdiction? That person is able to stand. God is able to keep him, to make him stand. Jesus, he's got his wonderful disciples and they're walking through life and over in Mark 9 and verse 38 we have this I think it's a humorous story where verse 38 it says teacher said John we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us (laughs) he's not vineyard so we told him hey you can't be doing that you can't be doing that And what did Jesus say? Do not stop him. Just because he's not a part of your group, just because he doesn't see everything just the same way your group does, doesn't mean he's still not a part of the bigger picture of God. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against me or against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. Smallest thing is what means the most. Don't stop him. Can we give one another the benefit of the doubt at times in God's beloved community? Um, while I was reading that passage, suddenly it occurred to me, and this is a, another story that I heard uh, a Bible teacher, Charles Simpson, probably teach back in the 70s, suddenly popped into my mind over in Joshua 22. Over in Joshua 22, the children of Israel had made their way into the promised land. And so Joshua is divvying, divvying up the land, and he's telling them where to go. And there are two and a half tribes who are given land on the other side of the river. They're going to go to the other side. And so there's a celebration, and all the tribes disperse into the promised land. And these two and a half tribes, they go over to their area, which is a pretty good distance away from the rest of Israel. Well, they go over and they build, you know, they build this altar. And the NIV says it's an imposing altar. 
In other words, it was a super large one. They, they made it where you could see it. Uh, the word in the Hebrew is it's, it's a, a replica of the one that was, they left behind. Well, since they're a bit away, away from the other tribes of Israel, and they go and build this humongous altar, word gets back to the other tribes. And how do you think they respond? Let's go kill them. <laughs> Let's go kill those two and a half tribes. I mean, they, they're building an altar bigger than the original. They're, and then if God's going to get mad at them, and then he's going to come and smite us. Let's go kill them. So they get up in arms because they don't take the time to ask the question to understand why they did what they did. And then they go over and the two and a half tribes come out to meet them and they go, no, 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 hold up. We built this other altar so that our children could be reminded of how great God was in bringing us through Egypt, out of Egypt, through the desert, and into the promised land. And also so that your children of the other nine and a half tribes, so they, when they come over here, they will see this altar, and they will know that we are a part of the same family in the same group. Man, we can get so confused so quick, and we're ready to kill people. Discount them. You're not a Christian. Discount them immediately before we get enough information and talk. How quickly we forget that our fellow members belong to God. Your second one there is that as we deal with our differences, as we deal with doctrine and we deal with opinion, that each of us, and believe this in one another, each of us desire to glorify God. I mean, you're in church, right? Nobody just goes, hey, you know what? I could go to the bar. I could go to church. Let's see. I think I'll go down to church and hang out today. Now, you came because God is doing something in your heart. Maybe you're giving it another shot, but you're coming in. God is the originator, the pull, the impetus of you coming in here today. I need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that of one another. When we're together, God is doing his work in us. And most likely, you want to glorify God with your life. That's why you're here. So when I have a difference of opinion with you or a difference on some minute doctrine that has nothing to do with dogma, and we get heated about it, I should remember that you want to glorify God with your life most likely. Look at verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each man should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord to glorify God. He who eats meat eats to the Lord for he who gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. And when we have our differences, when we come into this bit of a friction, we need to say, you know what? I know you... You belong to God, and you want to glorify God with your life. That's what this is about, so let's talk about it. And respect that with each other, and have dialogue. Some things that come to mind for me, like baptism. I like immersion. I like to put people completely under the water, because I think it's a picture of our old life being buried in Christ, being washed clean, 
and then coming up out of that new. I like to do immersion, but I would never make a point to say someone who was sprinkled and it was meaningful to them was not baptized. I'm not going to make an issue out of that. If your heart is for Christ and in the right place, then I'm going to, I'm going to say you want to glorify God with your life. And that was meaningful to you. Calvinism versus Arminianism, and 80% of you don't know what I'm talking about, but you know the whole sovereignty issue versus the free will issue to the glory of God. To the glory of God, my question is, are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Well, I don't believe I could ever backslide and fall away from Jesus. Well, that's not the question. The question is, are you following Jesus? <laughs> if you're following Christ and you're on the road, what does that matter? Let's go. You can be an Arminian or a Calvinist here in this church, okay? There are Calvinists sitting right next to you right now. Right now. There are Democrats sitting right next to you right now. <laughs> Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? In our serving, do we want to glorify God? In our giving, do we want to glorify God? In our worship, it's not about the style. It's not about the volume. It's not about that. We make all these things such a schismatic point when it's really about Him. And Paul keeps telling this church, this Roman church that he wants to get to, he so much wants to visit with them. He says, make the main thing the main thing. You have some people in your midst who are weak because they can't eat meat because they believe that it, was, it may have been sacrificed to idols and they don't feel the freedom that they have in Christ yet. And so if they don't, then just you know, work with them, work with them. Work with them. And you that are weaker, and don't judge your brothers who are throwing down on the T-bone, you know? Just work with them. In other words, we make Christ the center of it. The gospel is the center. We don't do life to please ourselves. We do it to please Christ. What is of benefit to Him? So we extend tolerance to one another in our pursuits to honor God. And I read this statement. It says it so succinctly. Christian freedom extends to whatever may be done to honor God. And so, it takes a people willing to stretch, willing to, I think the, uh, over in the epistles, even it, it could even be phrased, put up with one another. You know, we can put up with one another's taste in music, put up with one another's taste in certain things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's the power of the gospel in the fact that we can love one another and you like country music. See, a unifying effort. I love country too, it's okay. <laughs> Lastly, your last one there is, good for us to remember this, is that every one of us will eventually be judged by God. And that's the way he ends this in verse 9 through 12, this particular section. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now this is not about salvation, this is about giving an account for our lives. We want to be faithful with our lives. 
What does that mean as far as is God going to like slap you around if you didn't do well with your life? I don't think that's what that means at all. But I do believe we're going to give an account for what God has given us. You know, that uh, this church, me, standing up here now, I'm going to give account. I'm going to give an account for this thing. And I'm going to give account for my responsibilities. I'm going to give an account, and you will, for your participation and how you participated in God's work on the earth and what giftings and talents and time and, and material goods and money and all that he gave you. I don't think, you know, it's not salvation. You're not going to say, hey, Tim, you did a lousy job, go to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe, you know, I'll get to see and I'll get to hear how good a job I did and that I am accountable to God for it. Now, whatever that means, I don't know completely what, what that means, but I know it, he said it, right? I mean, he did say it. Did he not say it? Just because it's uncomfortable in the book doesn't mean we aren't supposed to read it. You know that, don't you? We go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get back over here. Where's another, where's another part? Oh, no. What in the world, you know? I'll be judged by God. Don't judge your brother because you're going to stand before God and be judged. And honestly, I have not got to the point yet where I've got this thing down so good that I have time really to help you get yours down, you know, to come alongside and go, you're wrong at what you do. How many of you are still busy with yourself, kind of pulling things in, getting things to work better instead of being God's little helper, you know, to come along and point out all the problems? And and I'm talking about doctrinal and opinion-wise. I'm not talking about the essential parts of faith. That is our job, to help one another live life faithfully. We are our brother's keeper when it comes to that. Helping one another with proper dogma, believing the right things that lead to life in Christ. But these other areas, me getting into with your preference with music and your preference with this and preference with baptism and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, we've got bigger fish to catch and clean here to let people know that Jesus Christ loves them and cares for them. Paul is pointing out the danger of one group imposing their understanding of the Christian faith and lifestyle appropriate to it on all others in the community. Richard Baxter, the famous Puritan, said it this way, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Can we say that together? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Charity. Back in the, the late 1400s, there was a guy named Copernicus. Some of you may remember that from your school days. Copernicus, uh, before he came along, people thought that the earth was the center of the universe, right? And that everything revolved around earth. And if you saw some of the drawings of how they tried to justify this and the path of the planets, it got very complicated. I mean, there were all kind of weird drawings just trying to make Earth the center of everything. And they would even have planets darting. Like one moment during the month, it would be here, and suddenly they darted over here. And that's the only way they could make it work with Earth being the center of the universe. Copernicus comes along and goes, Nah, the sun is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around it. And once that was discovered, it became a beautiful pattern, elliptical pattern 
things made so much sense. But you know what? When we become the center of our universe, life gets extremely complicated. There has to be something with more power and more pull at the center of our church and our lives other than ourselves. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.